You are listening to the Compliance Conversations podcast by Healthicity. If you work in the healthcare industry, you know how crucial compliance is to your bottom line, your reputation, and the success of your organization as a whole. If this is your first time listening, welcome. A transcript of every Compliance Conversations episode can be found at www.healthicity.com slash resources, along with a ton of other thought leadership materials. You can add us to your RSS feed and iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Now, let's get on with the show. Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Compliance Conversations. I'm CJ Wolf, Senior Compliance Executive at Healthicity, and today we have a wonderful guest, Larry Pletko. He's a, a dear friend and somebody with a rich experience of compliance in, in a variety of areas, and he's using all that expertise now uh, to, to assist organizations as a consultant, but he's a real practitioner in compliance. Uh, welcome, Larry. Well, thank you very much, CJ. Um, I'm here in Seattle. Uh, hopefully not sleepless, since I've had a few cups of coffee by now. Very good. Sleepless in Seattle. Um, Larry, why don't you take a minute and just kind of explain uh, or uh, share with us a little bit of your background and your your experience in compliance. I think just hearing where you've been and what you've done uh, is, a real, is a real treat. Okay, thank you very much. Well, I got started in um, healthcare in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, actually. Back in the 80s, um, I was a vice president of a hospital system, Pittsburgh Mercy, which is part of the, of the University of Pittsburgh system these days. And I was there as their um, corporate ethicist, since I have a background in healthcare ethics. And while I was there, we began to hear uh, about the new field of compliance. So um, I kept that in mind and eventually moved with my family to Seattle, Washington, and became a part of the uh, Providence Health System, which is now Providence Health and Services. And I continued in my role there in the um, uh, 90s um, as their uh, corporate compliance officer. And then, um, Around uh, 93, I believe it was, uh, and this is just after the federal sentencing guidelines were published in 91. So um, I was approached by our CEO about um, my interest in heading up a new area, which was uh, then called compliance. And I'm saying, well, what in the world is compliance? Exactly. So after going to the dictionary, which I first did, I found there was very, very little in, even in the literature, per se, except for maybe banks and all the financial institutions. But at the same time, um, in the Clinton administration, Operation Restore Trust was rolled out in 1995. And my organization, along with some others, were interested in setting up the very first compliance shops, if you will. Uh, back then, we were dealing, we were dealing CJ, with the 72-hour, three-day window. So Yes, that's right. Medical lab compliance was the hot topic of the day, and also uh, ABNs. Um, oh, yes, ABNs. And, and who had minors insurance and who didn't, and all those other kinds of prompts that we had our um, person's... Um, uh, ask patients as they enroll. So, right. 
So uh, back then, uh, um, I, mo I moved then eventually um, to see, 2000 and uh, 2003. I moved to Yale, Warren David, Connecticut, and headed up the compliance program for Yale New Haven. Um, got more experience with dealing with physician groups, uh, academic medicine, of course. And I really thought that I would um, probably stay there through retirement. But lo and behold, um, I was approached by the University of Texas system in Austin, Texas. It has uh, 14 um, universities. It's a very large operation. And I was asked to take on the role uh, of their very first compliance officer. So I moved in 2008 to Austin. And... Um, Eventually, um, USCJ came on to my staff from the MD right. Cancer Center. It was, a, it was a beautiful time. It was a great time working together and, um, you know, dealing with uh, compliance issues, not only on the ac academic side uh, of the house, as they say, but also with uh, medical schools and dental schools and um, research centers and so I think I sort of dipped my toe, as they say, into a lot of different areas of compliance in the course of my career. And then today, uh, I retired in 2014. I have a pretty active um, compliance consulting business, and I certainly enjoy that and do as much as I want, so to speak. But that's what um, brought us together again after some years apart, and I'm just thrilled to be here this morning. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Larry. And, you know, um, for the audience that give you a little thought, uh, background of my thinking, um, as I was looking for new guests, as we always are, so please contact us if you've got guests that you'd like us to speak with. But Larry came to mind because he's a real mentor to me personally. And so I thought it would be really neat to, to talk to him. I know he's got this rich experience uh, and he's still heavily involved. And he's now involved to a point where he's seen a lot of different clients uh, across the country and that sort of thing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that in a minute. But because one of the first words that comes to my mind about Larry is, is mentor, I wanted to ask him a little bit about compliance as a profession and get his thoughts because he's seen where compliance has been kind of the uh, as a formal profession, right? And um, Larry, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on what you think of compliance as a profession and, and is in the growth and where is it going in the future? Is is it plateauing as a profession? Is it increasing in importance? Do you have any thoughts uh, on where the profession's moving? Well, I don't. I don't think it's uh, disappearing. Far from it. Because we know that um, compliance um, as a profession uh, has expanded by leaps and bounds. And uh, last evening, I happened to be looking at a Wall Street Journal article from 2014, which indicated that compliance was the one of the hottest career tracks available for anyone these particular days. And I, I think that is the case because, you know, we, we have, uh, we even have formal compliance professional compliance programs that are attached to some uh, of our very finest universities. And um, that is something which uh, um, started probably maybe about 10 years ago. But over the last three or four years, we've seen um, more and more of those programs opening up because the, uh, the talent search is a, a difficult one for 
organizations, uh, CJ, and quite regularly I get uh, inquiries, either phone calls or through email, from organizations looking for um, compliance officers or associate compliance officers because they're having difficulty fulfilling those positions. And uh, case in point, you know, if you go to the Healthcare Compliance Association um, where they list the, the job openings or those are at SCCE or even the American Health Lawyers Association, it's just incredible how many openings there are at all levels of the organization. So I just make my case on that, that indeed uh, the area of compliance is certainly uh, one that is uh, uh, has a great future uh, for those who'd like to um, throw their hat into the mix, so to speak. Yeah, you know, and I, I see a lot of that as well. And I so that was my and that's what I was anticipating you would say, but it, it's good to hear that you're seeing that as well from a different perspective. You know, and it's interesting, a lot of people in compliance come from different backgrounds. I mean, your formal training is as an ethicist, but, I, you know, I've worked for people that um, uh, in the hospital system where uh, the compliance officer came from an RN background. I've worked in others where they come from a legal background. Um, uh, so some clinical, some legal, some... Uh, ethics, some uh, auditing. Do you have any thoughts on kind of a best best way to, to enter the field, or does it, are all of those types of folks welcome? And what's unique about the skill set that they would bring? No, I, I I think that you know there are various pathways. I mean, um, I believe in diversity, and uh, even professionally speaking, I tell my right. son ha happens to be a lawyer, CJ, that some of the finest people I know are lawyers. So, yep. <laughs> so, so, um, so uh, when I look at, at the very, very rich um, associations and relationships I have with professionals in compliance, it runs the gamut from tremendous internal auditors to lawyers to here and there a few ethicists, persons who actually have been in operations, uh, I think, have a, a great perspective to provide. So I think it's important for organizations to sort of have that mix of backgrounds and be intentional in their staffing. Uh, right. Uh, you know, for organizations that uh, perhaps uh, have that advantage. So I, I think to this day, uh, uh, I find the more interesting um, programs are those that sort of capture that makeup. Yeah, and I, you know, you and I have talked a lot about and worked together about the the concept of operationalizing compliance. And so you mentioned people with strong uh, backgrounds in operations uh, can be a real skill set, especially in healthcare, because because you know it's not the compliance office that runs that is responsible for compliance, right? They're responsible for for running the day to day program, but. Everyone on the front line operations—that's where compliance happens, right? No, absolutely. And I, you know, there's sort of the mantra we used to use, CJ, that operations operationalizes compliance. Um, exactly. other, otherwise, uh, you know, lawyers and compliance officers and others who really are in the consultation role in an organization, uh, you know, are crossing over a line <laughs> that is really not uh, theirs. They, we give advice. Uh, we prod, we remind, we educate, but really operations um, has to be able to 
bring a compliance program to bear in organizations as much as there's responsibility for financial uh, indicators. So I think that has really moved further into the fabric of American healthcare management. Yeah, good point. Um, let's shift gears a little bit, and um, you know, I I want to uh, capitalize on your current experience because you're you're seeing a lot of the last few years as a consultant, you're acting with a lot of compliance programs across the country. So you're seeing probably trends and needs and gaps and those sorts of things from a unique perspective because you're seeing all these different organizations. I also know that you work a lot with. Um, compliance in the higher education industry. Um, but what would you see as kind of the top one or two compliance trends that you're noticing, you know, from your clients and from other, or other organizations that you're dealing with right now? Um, I would say, and I don't think this would surprise people, that the number one issue that comes up would be that of information security and more specifically cybersecurity. And how that is impacting um, compliance these days. When I think back, uh, when I got involved in the uh, healthcare field, gosh, back even in the late seventies, you know, the the paper record uh, at the nurses' station was quite quite the way in which business conducted. And eventually, we you know we had the so-called tubes, which appeared. <laughs> And from there, you know, but just the whole advance of big data. Um, exactly. And so that that brings a whole other dimension these days to do how the compliance officer needs to do what they do. Yeah. And that's true not only for healthcare, right, but also for uh, other industries like in higher education where we're seeing uh, breaches. Um, and, you know, we know in higher education, there's an overlap a lot of times between their healthcare systems and their educational systems. But is that true in, in both of those? Uh, oh, absolutely. 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 And what I, what I find people dealing with, you know, whether I'm, I, my client may be a, an academic university um, that doesn't have a health component or one that does, you know the whole the whole specter of dealing with sort of the dark side, as they call, of cybersecurity. You know, you know, are yeah. hackers going about um, uh, their work for ill-gotten gain and identity theft? And uh, you know, even uh, things that may seem quite harmless, that if somebody swipes a card in the gift shop of a hospital um, on a on a on a PCI reader, you know. You know, how secure is that? Um, or individuals who are working in patient accounts, for example, um, you know, how much, what, what's the security there with regard to um, malware and um, are there, you know, strict protocols with regard, uh, CJ, of individuals using personal email that could be embedded with malware or even downloading apps on their desktop, which is the whole field of desktop management. And right. um, uh, I just harken back to our times together um, at University of Texas system um, when we inherited the whole information security structure, the information security officer, Lewis Watkins, uh, a fine fellow, reported to me, and I had to learn overnight 
a great deal about this specific area. But um, I found that to be a gift because I think these days I can be of assistance to organizations who are, you know, struggling with how to handle an area that is extremely costly, first of all. Right. It is compliance in ways we never, ever dreamt of. And it's also ultimately connected to privacy because privacy and security are joined at the hip according to HIPAA and high-tech uh, regulations. So that's just right. something that I feel percolates to the top. Yeah, you know, and I think, um, I don't know if you think this is unique when we were at UT, but um, just from a structural standpoint of a compliance program and you, and you bring up information security, I think historically a lot of chief information security officers or CISOs have reported to the chief information officer. Um, we saw... And I'm interested in hearing if you think this is true for other organizations where it may be more appropriate to have that CISO report outside of that line of the chief information officer because there could be potential conflicts if the CISO is reporting on and auditing and, and uh, evaluating areas under their direct, uh, direct um, uh, reporting relationship. What are your thoughts on that, on the reporting relationship of a CISO and, and how it might be best designed in a compliance program? Well, I, I do favor um, that, the, um, that the information security program and the information security officers be housed uh, in, within the compliance area. Uh, you know, uh, when I first uh, dealt with this firsthand and talked with the information security staffs uh, at the university. And gosh, we had about, in our um, scope of authority, we had over 300 people involved. And I found very early on that we had individuals who were just brilliant uh, by, by with, with regard to explaining the technology and dealing with the technology, but they didn't quite understand that they were also compliance officers. Because the right. whole structure of information security is based on the HIPAA security rule. And then, you know, the seven, the seven foundations, little steps, everything from oversight to policy to education and so on and so forth. So what we did early on is we actually conducted workshops on how an information security officer needs to also be a compliance officer, the one and the same. So that's just my view. Uh, I'm yes. sure that there are... Uh, uh, CIOs out there who would strongly disagree, but um, I just see more and more of this occurring in the industry that information security is indeed a unique uh, area. Yeah. Well, excellent points. Um, now, I, if, I, if we could shift gears again, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, kind of your some things that I've observed in you. So I hope I'm not going to embarrass you here, but. Um, you know, I, one thing I really appreciate about you, appreciate about you, and I think it's apparent from those who've already listened so far in the podcast, is your tone and approach to compliance. It's very thoughtful. It's not, um, you know, I've, I've met a lot of compliance folks who uh, get a little uh, nervous and they they're, they're trying to be a little overbearing. Um, but your approach, I think, is really unique. Um, and you and I've seen you actually practice your tone and your approach in very complex organizations, especially ones that have very political cultures with individuals that might have really strong personalities. And it's, I think it's a delicate skill and you possess it. I don't know if you, if you were born with it, I doubt it. Um, I think 
maybe a part of that, but you've really developed that. How would you mentor someone like me or someone newer in the in the compliance field in developing those kinds of skills that aren't necessarily learned from a book? Yeah, well, that, that's a good question. Um, you know, I what I found um, entering into um, healthcare um, and dealing with um, a lot of very, very bright people, CJ, you know, PhD, exactly. MDs, and so on and so forth, people who are just have incredible backgrounds, very learned. Um, what I found early on was I would go about and sit down perhaps with a um, with a professor uh, in the medical school or a department head and ask them to explain to me what they did. <laughs> uh, yep. You know, uh, what was new in their area, how they treated their patients, so on and so forth. And it's just what I found you develop a tremendous rapport because you are humbling yourself to the strengths of others. Yes, Indi I've heard you say that a lot. Individuals love to um, share um, their passion. And I think that this is sort of the where the crossroads for doing compliance occurs, where that opens up the dialogue where you could be of assistance to um, the various departments and, and, and divisions, um, business units with regard to helping them do the right thing, whether that's in the ethical portion of it or, or the billing portion of it. So I think that that's where the trust uh, comes and, and, and all. And, you know, there are obviously very strong people in organizations at times. And I know I, like others, you know, <laughs> find myself cowering from, you know, individuals with very, very strong personalities. Right. So in, in projects that um, I've done or projects perhaps, CJ, that you and I have um, sponsored uh, from, from the central or system offices, I really feel you have to find those champions and channel that particular energy that they have and give them an opportunity to help other colleagues. And I find um, nearly 100% of the time that people really do um, enjoy having that particular role, that that's where you begin to get the opening for cooperation and collaboration. Do you yeah. see I do. And, you know, when as you're talking, I'm remembering um, when under your leadership, we, we rolled out the guiding principles at University of Texas for clinical trial billing. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about is rather than us say, you know, these are the rules, this is what you're going to do. We collaborated with experts at the health institutions who had expertise and we helped, and they really, you know, collectively, we arrived at these guiding principles, which is where we wanted to end up anyway. But I think if you asked them about the journey, they would have said, you know, they came up with a lot of these these thoughts and ideas. You're, you're absolutely right, and, and thank you for reminding me of that. But, you know, we you can't rule by fiat. You really have to be persuasive. You really have to be collaborative. And I know at one of our... Um, one of our great um, um, health science centers, they were just doing marvelous things with regard to um, um, clinical trial enrollment 
uh, introduction of software. I think that was uh, Velas. And, right. uh, and uh, you know, we went there, and um, gosh, they they spent two entire days with us um, demonstrating. Um, even the physicians were there demonstrating um, what uh, they had found, and eventually we invited the other um, other compliance uh, staffs from the other uh, organizations there, and eventually uh, the University of California sent individuals to learn from them. So I think there's a harmonization. I think there's a sort of a um, sort of a cross fertilization, if I could use the term. That occurs whenever individuals uh, have that opportunity um, to to share um, breakthrough thinking and break, breakthrough systems. Yeah, you know, and I, that's one of the other things I learned from you just by watching you is that um, this, you know, we had the higher education consortium, so to speak, where we tried to collaborate with partners in in compliance at other institutions. Not that we're we're not competing against them, right? You're using the strengths right. of, of others uh, to benefit everyone. That's correct. You know, yeah. and, and another thing, too, is um, um, something that I, I have found very, very important. Um, we had a lot of compliance officers. Uh, I believe we had 17 who were the chief compliance officers of, of, of the institutions, and then we had a couple other organizations that were not um, the universities themselves, but uh, they were portfolio management companies and what have you. And right. you would look out and you would see that the backgrounds and the development of individuals would vary greatly. <clears throat> and I think, you, you know, every now and then you would get a, a call from somebody's supervisor that they were a little upset with, you know, with this person or felt that they needed to um, um, sharpen their skills. So I think that the compliance officer really has to uh, be a, a mentor. Um, yes. And, um, and, and very carefully and very respectfully, you know, work with individuals who are new to the professions and do some sort of scenario planning with regard to how to approach uh, complicated um, issues. Um, right. How are those matrix? Um, how do we get buy-in? Uh, what will work? What will not? So uh, what I found uh, is uh, when you extend that type of um, assistance to individuals, um, they really do appreciate that. I, I had I had a, a big four um, uh, company uh, two years ago. Uh, they asked me if I could do a long distance, which I did through conference calling, mentoring of a new um, compliance officer in the southern state. And it just worked out fantastically. So I think this yeah. whole thing of, of mentoring is very, very important uh, as the next generation of compliance officers steps up. Well, and I, I can't think of a better mentor than, than yourself, so I, I personally can testify to that, and I appreciate your, your strengths there. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of sharing. Um, our listeners might be interested, in, uh, and many organizations have open sessions with the board that are recorded. Uh, those of you who are interested, you, you might want to go to utsystem.edu, look up the, the Board of Regents, and they'll have archives of videos and PowerPoints and 
minutes and all sorts of things. And you can look back in the years that, that Larry was there and you'll see some great examples of, of him presenting and other colleagues presenting on compliance topics. And I think they're, uh, they're really good examples of, of how that could work. Um, the other thing, Larry, that I want to just, if you could touch on this, because um, you used to say it and I, and I saw you do it. So occasionally you have this conflict with, with an individual and you've tried all of these proactive measures, but sometimes it's just not going to work. And you used a phrase uh, to teach me once you said, you hold up the mirror. Um, and you just had a really great way without coming off as combative of holding up the mirror. And I think what you meant by this is you're able for people to, you're able to help reflect back to people what they were saying and what they were doing. And sometimes they could come to their own conclusions. Do you remember using that phrase? Yeah, I, the no, I, I do. And I think I still do it to this day. Um, no, I think that's important. And, and I, I had a, a mentor many, many, many years ago say the same thing to me. Um, I was just uh, going off on a tangent, just very, very upset, very angry. And he said, Larry, let me just hold up the mirror. This is not about you, but I want you to sort of look at the mirror here. Let's pretend there's one. And how do you think you're being uh, perceived? How do you think people are looking at this? And uh, gosh, you know, it stopped me in my tracks. And, uh, you know, it, it was sort of the light bulb, the proverbial light yes. bulb. And, but again, I think, um, you know, we have all these forces, uh, all these particular dynamics, and for heaven's sakes, we can't uh, make it into a Star Wars movie. Still, <laughs> that you know, we and we we know that people just have bad days, um, yep. and I think that's another thing to consider. That um, you know, if we sort of as we sort of climb the mountain, so to speak, and deal with Sisyphus's stone, and it rolls back on us. Well, it may very well be that we kind of have to do a timeout and say, well, you know, let's get back to this particular difficult topic next week and re resume. And maybe we can both think about it and what have you. And I think in invariably people do come around. So yes. and 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 so I think that, you know, I think the compliance officers these days really has to have those specific skills. You know, one thing that I see occurring, if you, if you let, uh, if I may say, is just how um, compliance officers are, are structuring for the future. Um, you know, more and more business units are taking on more accountability for compliance. Okay, whereas the compliance officers themselves are focusing on the enterprise-wide compliance initiatives. So right. that's going to require a great deal of coordination. Um, you know, budgets and staff are squeezed to the gills. Uh, so how do we come up with ways of deploying assistance and accountability across the organization? So I think that demands um, uh, from us uh, understanding that we're moving from generalists, so to speak, to individuals who are involved in compliance who are very comfortable with risk content or risk-specific expertise. So that refinement and that complexity of healthcare and healthcare delivery, well, uh, the compliance offices are also on that, um, 
on that movement forward. And I think that could be scary, but at the same time, uh, it's an important type of a skill and it takes tremendous planning and um, for the future as the delivery system changes invariably. Okay, yeah. so that's the thought I have. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, I'm going to ask you in a minute if you have any kind of last minute or, or parting comments. Um, but what I've taken away from that, and it's something that I've taken away from our time together, is humble yourselves to the strengths of to the strengths of others. That's a really great principle, and and hold up the mirror. And it's like you said, the light bulb came up uh, uh, on for me, and and I've tried to use those phrases. I remember them, and I, I try to use that as as I go about my my daily work. Um, I really appreciate your expertise, Larry. It's great to connect again with with a wonderful friend and mentor. Uh, any last minute thoughts or comments before we close our podcast today? Uh, I do. You know, we're using incredible technology to. Um, have this uh, morning chat, CJ, when you think about it. You know, we're using the internet, we're using Skype, um, we're recording, we're located in three different location, locations, which is just absolutely incredible. So, indeed, that is the, the, the future, that is the future of, of healthcare, that um, compliance professionals are going to need to understand and uh, talk with the early adopters of the new technologies that we have to be on uh, on point as far upstream as possible with um, the new technologies that obviously have compliance impl impl uh, um, applications. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Otherwise, we're going to uh, be too late. <laughs> So yes. to see what I'm saying is that I, and I so I think that whole thing of uh, dealing with the, the compliance implications um, and doing that very early on and uh, really the self-education that we need to have as well as sitting down with individuals who are conversant in uh, the technologies will enable the compliance uh, departments to be at the very cutting edge of where the health care uh, system is going and how health uh, care deliveries moving along in the future. So I think that that, that inquisitiveness, that desire to learn, uh, has to be part and parcel of how the compliance officer does uh, his or her work today. Great. Excellent, excellent uh, parting comments and very forward-looking. And I think we all know in healthcare, um, even today, we who knows what's going to happen tomorrow with certain laws and regulations. And so we always have to be forward-looking. Um, you can't rest on what we've done in compliance, you know, 20 years ago or even two months ago necessarily. So, Larry, thanks again for your time, your expertise, and and um, really are grateful for your time. Well, you're welcome. I'm going to go off and have another cup of coffee, CJ. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of, of Compliance Conversations. Please uh, tune in for our next episode. And as always, if you have uh, suggestions of topics and speakers. I'd love to hear them. Uh, thanks for listening. Have a great day.